Welcome to Issue Zero. I'm your host, Fred Kennedy, and today we are joined by one of the few people that I would ever let co-host an episode of this show with me. My contemptible harpy of a producer, Dila Velasquez. And today, uh, we had planned on actually doing a deep dive into the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, but we both watched the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, and it just didn't really suit what we were hoping. It's not the original, and it's clearly designed not for family viewing, but for parents to throw on so their kids can watch it while they're decorating gifts or doing something else where they don't want the kids around. So instead, we're both so overblown by emotion from the big finale of season two of The Mandalorian that aired last Friday, we decided instead we'd do a deep dive on the entire season of The Mandalorian, going through each episode step by step, one at a time, talking about the best parts, the worst parts, and some really cool little hidden factoids as the series went along. And we also get into a, I don't want to say heated, I just want to say passionate discussion about where the two of us feel that the series is going to head and where it should head before it comes back for season three, potentially, next fall. So, Dila, do you just want to, like, just jump right in? No preamble, just get to it? Absolutely. That's really what I'm here for. I mean, I haven't even talked to you. Okay, so we should let listeners know that basically Friday night, during the Mandalorian, when their new season comes out, we make a promise not to talk to each other. No. Until we've both watched it. And yep. then it's just a series of like all caps, basically scream texting at each other. And this time, I feel like we we haven't, we have not even dealt with it. No, um, we haven't. But I, w- I don't want to just jump right into the finale. I okay. Think, I think no, it's really good. important. Let's go back to the very beginning, the end of October. Uh, chapter nine with the marshal, uh, with Timothy Oliphant. Uh, b- what's the name of the character that he plays in that? Because it's the same. Ca- the character has the same name from the comics uh, as a guy who found Boba Fett's armor, and they're very similar to what happens in the original expanded universe storyline with that. Uh, as the marshal who brings in law and order to a town, and here's why. I, I decided we're going to skip skim through the whole season until we get to the very end and do like a an overlook. But I want to touch on things that I both liked and disliked about each episode with you doing the same. Uh, and what I like the most about this episode, um, more than anything else, uh, is that as soon as the Empire fell, it's not like this magical the Republic takes over and everybody has the best life ever. For a lot of people, life got dramatically worse when the Empire fell. And this is a town that experienced that. And were it not for some guy, like, coincidentally getting this armor by luck, the people of that town would have all been enslaved by raiders. And who knows what else? And that was my favorite thing because I really do roll my eyes at that redone finishing of Return of the Jedi when it shows everywhere in the galaxy, everywhere you go, everyone's happy that the Empire is gone. That wouldn't happen. There would be chaos for a long time. That's my Well, there's a there's a vacuum of power. Absolutely. And and I think that that is something that rarely gets discussed in Star Wars and I really think that it should. Because, okay, this is back to my original point. I will say this. The one thing that we both like about the original, 
like to bring it back to the holiday special just for a smidgen the original one you could actually sense how awful it is during the war that was the one thing that we both kind of got out of it is how real it felt to those people who weren't the skywalkers who weren't part of like the original sort of you know trilogy you could sense that there was war going on and how like the impact of it right I would argue that this did exactly the same thing. That's what the one sorry, not the Mandalorian as a series has done, is be able to really show the impact that it's not, and that's what I really like about the series and what I wish the movies did more. Yeah. Instead, the movies just show like heroes, fireworks, medals, done. Remember the word hero because we're going to get to that again. We're going to touch on the concept of heroes as well. Because it involves my favorite scene of the series so far. But keep going. Anyways, so that's what I liked about it, is being able to see, like, the vacuum of power and be able to actually see an interaction of a world that was affected. It's a familiar world, too, that was affected after the greatest victories, if you will. And also... Cobb Vance, I think is his name, Timothy Oliphant's character, Cobb. I, I was relying on you to get the name because I, I, I didn't realize how much you love thick hair. Listen, it's volume. <laughs> Sorry, whatever volume. It's it's texture and volume. Timothy Oliphant was, like, I know there was a lot of stuff that happened in that episode, but really, it's Timothy Oliphant. You like, sent that's me what so many pictures for. of his hair. So many pictures of his hair. Constant. So many pictures of his hair and just me saying, he can get it. Yeah. Like, he can get it. I know. He gets it. He gets it. We he know he gets it. He gets it. Was there anything he about this episode it. you didn't like? Uh, No. I was just excited that it was back. Like, I I was like, I was stoked. And the music was really good. Because yeah. the second it felt very cinematic because they were on a quest so the music was actually really good in this episode and timothy oliphant was dreamy and we had emmy sedaris again who is a treasure i i, uh, I can't i can't get on that i find I, and here's i love amy sedaris okay but i watched elf last night with the kids and her she has incredible delivery i just i think maybe it's my love of her and other things that takes me out of her character as the mechanic in this there's just I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. I can't get over her. She feels too silly and hokey and funny and her goofy robots. And I know that that's for the kids and it's fine. I just, there's something about her character that just pulls me. She's way better in this one than she was when we saw her in The Gunslinger last season. But I also think The Gunslinger is by a wide margin the worst episode of the entire series. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's residual. I mean, I get get it. it. You're right. She is the most sort of silly, goofy, not shouldn't be part of this very serious world. She's like just there for comedic. If you really think about it, there's not a lot of comedic elements in this series. So when they use it, they use it kind of sparingly. And I think I just I mean, if you're going to put that character in, at least have it be Amos Sedaris. Like, that's what I like about it, is that it's, it's the right choice. If now, you're going to do something silly and goofy, bring Amy. Now, here's something that a lot of people don't realize. That episode, the very first episode of the season, opens up with him on this war-torn planet. He goes to see this gangster, this information broker, uh, at a pit fight. And the pit fight between two Gamorians. And the guy he goes to see, that one-eyed gangster, is John Leguizamo. And mm-hmm. I... 
I I loved seeing John Leguizamo in there, and I hope that we see John Leguizamo again because he is one of. I think that everyone talks about actors that we need to see more of, um, and I think without a doubt, John Leguizamo for me is a guy we need more of because I don't think I've ever seen him be bad in any. I loved him in the past. I loved him in the Mario Brothers movie. I love John Leguizamo in everything. More John Leguizamo. Let's move on, though. Let's move on. Hold on. One last thing I want to say, episode one. This is where I started getting really mad at you. I don't think you know this. This might be a confession time. I don't know. But this episode, to me, was like I watched it and I screamed multiple times at Jeremy, my boyfriend, I can't believe Fred did this because you actually wrote scenes like that fight scene with in '79. Yeah, it, it, there's so much. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna get to that. We, stop, stop jumping the gun because we're gonna talk about that. There's something that happened in this season that I swear is anybody who has listened to Mud '79 has heard stuff like this already happening. We're going to talk know, about it. The, but to to the, be fair, like this to me was the moment that I was like, I cannot. I was so mad at you. I actually think I texted a friend of mine did. in Edmonton. I texted a whole bunch of people saying like, I cannot believe that Fred, it made me mad. It made me actually appreciate you a lot more and be felt shame that I, that I yell at you over the scripts because I was like, oh, no, he actually is writing this world in Mud 79 exactly as it's coming to life in Mandalorian. Episode so this- 5 is what she's talking about, by the way. Episode 5 of Mud 79 is what she's talking about. Because that scene that happens in the beginning of the debut of The Mandalorian happens to the T in Mud 79. So yeah, let's move on. It made me very mad. You're going you're gonna to get to be mad at me more later. The Passenger, I think, is an episode uh, that felt almost completely out of place with the series. Um, it it has elements of horror. It has elements of the Alien franchise and the Xenomorph. Now, for anybody that doesn't remember, it's the episode he gets the frog lady. She's got the eggs. Uh, Baby Yoda eats the eggs. People apparently got mad saying he was. they were making jokes about genocide. I kind of rolled my eyes a bit of that. Uh, but they go on this ice planet uh, and the, they find these giant spider guys and they hide in the ship as it's attacked. And those spiderling guys were, it's kind of touches on two things. Number one, the spider guys touch on rebels. We saw those it guys. It was rebels, yeah, right? Like that's but, the whole thing. But that from rebels was based on original concept art from Ralph McQuarrie from the Empire Strikes Back, and they just didn't have the effects budget to make that happen. That's why the ice planet and the ice spiders and the eggs and the the shape of the eggs is actual concept art from Ralph McQuarrie that they just couldn't do. They took that, used it in Rebels, but then in Mandalorian, they went back to the original concept and made it much more terrifying and less kid-like. So I really liked that episode. It had, it, I thought it was fantastic, and I thought it peeled back the curtain a little bit on the way uh, the Empire works, and not the Empire, the way the new Galactic Republic works, and that they're not, sure, we'll help you fix your ship and all that stuff. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, it was terrifying, and I loved it a lot. And Appa from Kim's Convenience making his big debut 
on the show. A lot of people in Toronto and Canada super stoked to see that happen. What was your favorite part about it? First of all, I kind of forgot that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, completely kind of because I think episode one and two, it's almost like the most it's it was almost written as if it was one episode and it kind of got split into two, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I kind of forgot that episode two happened. Um, I do remember the spider things from Rebels, and I like the frog lady thing, which was cute, but I honestly, and the X-Men pilots, like that to me was clearly a setup for obviously the new series that potentially is coming up, right? Like that's what we're led to believe, that we're going to be following these sort of, you know, galactic empire, not empire, I guess. The Republic, the New Republic. Republic. And, the and New Republic. I, I love the concept of the New Republic Rangers because that's exactly what it would be like. You've got this mm. massive, expansive piece of space, and then you've got rangers that have to patrol vast bits of terrain relying on the locals and cooperating. I think it's a really cool concept. I had a uh, – I forget who I was discussing it with. It was on a podcast, and I was talking about how what they're getting back to is that – uh, it's almost, I don't want to say colonialism, but that like idea of colonies being very sp- far and spread apart and you've got a very limited amount of military manpower and it's really just constantly on patrol in an area relying on independent operatives to supply them with information so that those resources can be distributed as accurately and quickly as possible. And I think that's where... They're really going to focus on this era of the early New Republic, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and what again, what it does, what the TV show does really well is sort of expand it beyond, again, the same sort of story that we've been following, that same Skywalker lineage, if you will. Like, this expands it beyond that. So you actually get to revisit some of the worlds and see how that, vac- as we've been talking, the vacuum of power, like yeah. what happens when there aren't resources. And also... The galaxy has been pillaged by war, so you actually get to see, you know, what that looks like and the actual impact of that. So I think that's why it makes it so much, you know, more interesting to sort of deal with those stories and what's happening to all of these characters, even if you just met them, because there is that feels that feels very real. Like you can you can see how that would have happened sort of after World War Two. Um, how in, in all of the proxy wars and how that ended up leading into the dirt, you know, dirty wars and into the cold war, because there is all of that, that happens when big wars happen, you Abs- end up with residual wars. Of course. It's like shockwaves. Now mm-hmm. that, that we're going to talk about that again, because that also is very mud 79, but I want to move on uh, to, uh, Chapter 11, The Heiress. And I went into this episode expecting to not like it. And I say that because uh, one of my friends, <laughs> until that episode aired, and he and he texted me after to say my rule is now broken. He said, keep the Howards out of Star Wars because he did not like uh, the Solo movie, which I thought he was being kind of a wiener, but I don't mind Solo at all. Uh, also, and- Solo, let's be honest, you can't blame... Ron Howard. Ron Howard on that. No. That's not on him. You can't. He came in. He, he was the company man that came to clean that up. Yes. Um, and Bryce Dallas Howard, the sanctuary, 
from last season is also, I think, one of the weakest episodes of the season. And it, what's frustrating is there was some really cool parts. It's just it felt very clunky and weak. And then she came in, Chapter 11, The Heiress, and blew me away. And, of course, the big thing that happens in The Heiress is Bo-Katan and her, her Mandalorians. And, and the thing is, is even it's not Bo-Katan that carries that episode. It's the pacing, the action. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't get lost. And once again, you see that menace that the Empire has. And the Empire is fused together by general competence and zealotry in command. And I think that's what makes it such a great episode is the guy's like, we all die. You don't get it. We're going to die now. Oh, you want information? I'm going to let myself die. And then at the very end of the episode, what word does she say? And by word, I mean name. Ahsoka. Yeah, exactly. And so it's such a great, and they're flying around and they're shooting. It's just, it's, it's, it's perfect Star Wars. It's, it called back to the third episode, The Sin, last year, uh, uh, directed by Deborah Chow, where you see all the Mandalorians show up being like, this is the way, and they're flying and shooting guns. It's like, you got a taste of that again. And I loved, I, I, I have nothing I dislike about this episode. There's to not, me, it was, not a I, thing. I went, I went into it thinking it was going to be a filler episode because, you know, like every two or three episodes, the first season one felt like after two or three episodes, there was a filler one where you just kind of had to plot the story, like move the story along, move a quest along. There was like something like a bit meh about it. Right. This one. Like, so I was in, in, going into it going like, I know I'm going to see something, but like, it's going to be, it's going to be middling. And then the second that, I clocked the Bogotans like uniform, like her helmet. The second that I clocked it, I screamed. And when I say screamed, I mean Friday nights at my house. I'm pretty sure my neighbors think that there's a murder happening at least once per episode because it was an audible. And then I cheered. It was seeing her fly in real life, like in live action, was truly one of the coolest things. And it wasn't, like I said, like you said, actually, it wasn't, she didn't carry it, but it moved and it felt, the stakes felt high. Everything felt like, oh no, this is a big set piece. This is showing the gun in the first act and it's going to go off at some other point. And it went off a couple of times yeah. actually during the season. And I and have was s- Katie Sackoff is one of those people that... People, like, sci-fi fans love Katie Sackhoff because of Starbuck. And I will say, Battlestar Galactica is probably my all-time favorite TV show. My oldest son's middle name is Tyrrell because of Chief Tyrrell on that show is my favorite character. I loved Battlestar Galactica. But I never liked Starbuck, and I never liked Katie Sackhoff's version of Starbuck. I always liked her as a person and as an actor because I have never seen her do a non-amazing interview, and she's a clear fan of what she does. But I need everyone to know that I would live and die for her as Bo-Katan. Like, it's not even a question. I swear fealty. On bended knee. I'm there. This is the way. 
Like, I'm all over Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan. Not just because she was the voice, but because her presence on camera. Like, that is the intensity that I thought... Like, everyone was going on about how intense she was as Starbuck. I never got that, but I get it as Bo-Katan. And maybe it's just the armor and that I'm such a fanboy for Star Wars, but I adore her as Bo-Katan, unquestionably. Okay, I will say this. I don't know her. Like, not to sound like Mariah Carey, but be like, I don't know her. <laughs> so I don't, other than, like, as Bo-Katan, I don't know her because I don't care. Um, she, the second that she takes off that helmet and you see her face, there there are bruises on my boyfriend's arm from me just punching because I couldn't, like, be and just so excited that... It was such a dope episode. What are you saying? Like, am I just going to rewatch this for the rest of the day? Yes, I'm going to start rewatching Mandalorian and building the Razor Crest and Lego. Like, that's what I'm doing. That's my plan for the day. And I can't wait because now I'm so stoked just talking to you about it because Bo-Katan is so dope in that episode. And I did not see it coming. That was the other thing. After she says Ahsoka's name, now I'm just waiting. Yeah. Now I'm just waiting until I'm going to see her. I know which episode is coming. I know most likely which episode is going to be. The anticipation is rising. Like, I'm already at a 10 before that episode even starts. Let's get there. This, But this was a surprise 10, and that's why I loved it. Because I did not see it coming, and bam, there she was, and I lost it. Totally. Me too. That's exactly was my reaction, was I didn't expect it to be as amazing as it was. Now, let's get to it. Now, since I know that there is no way my excitement will compare to yours over this episode. I'm going to let you go first with Chapter 13, The Jedi. So before 13, we had The Siege, which was directed by Carl Weathers, which I would argue if there was going to be a filler episode this season, here we are. Yes, that's and to be honest, what kind of statement about that episode is it that I even forgot to bring it up? The episode that gave us the official Mandalorian macarons you can order for $60 a package. Uh, yeah. And also kind of set up some rumors. Uh, were these where Snoke came from with the experiments with the Jedi blood? Is that what they're getting at? Uh, the introduction of Dark Troopers. Which you and I were texting about. I'm like, dude, those are dark troopers. And you're like, what are dark troopers? And I'm like, well, you see, back on the PCs in 1995, my friend Neil, who is like my go-to Star Wars nerd friend that I've been buddies with forever, um, as soon as that episode aired, he texted me just with the words dark forces. That's all he said. And you see dark troopers at the end of it. And I think that there are some cool things that happened in the episode. Uh, Gene's guy, pretty cool. Uh, But overall, yeah, it's filler, and it's a shame because I like Carl Weathers. I've I've always wanted to go to his acting school, um, like Tobias Funke, but it sadly doesn't exist. Uh, But yeah, Chapter 12, no, not, not the best. I think that's the weakest episode of the season by a very wide margin as evidenced by I completely forgot to even bring it up. Yeah, I mean, what it was, it was really like, we can't, she can't say Ahsoka Tano at the end of episode, you know, like, what, 11, and then have her show up in episode 12. Yeah. Like, that, you need to build it up. Yeah. So that's what that was. It was just like, let's get you to do another quest 
before you have to do the thing that we all really want. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So like I understand it as a story structure and why you did why why they did it that way. It was just filler. Yeah. And not really. I mean, it was also kind of like, let's revisit some characters that we haven't seen since season one and reintroduce them because they will become important sort of potentially towards the later part of the season. It was great to see Cara Dune again and to see, you know, Carl Weathers again. But man, it's fuller. Yep, totally. Absolutely. And then at the end, you've got the setup of the whole New Republic, Rangers of the New Republic at the very end Mm -hmm. there. Uh, when Appa comes down and he gives Cara Dune the badge and they talk about Alderaan and we're all in the clunkiest bit of dialogue. Did you lose anyone? Um, okay, dude, what kind of question is that? She's from Alderaan. There isn't a planet anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe they got off. Like who? Yeah. Like who knows? But the question was, did you lose someone? It was, did you lose? And it was like, did you lose someone? Yes, of course. Not like, was your family okay? Like the question should have been like, who survived really? Because the answer is everyone. (laughs) Yeah. It's just. Yes. Yeah. There's no other answer other than yes, I lost someone. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's, Let's get out of here like debris from an exploding planet. Um I think it's too impo- like this episode is too much for me. I think you need to do the setup. Okay. I can't even think about it. On the episode, the Jedi chapter thirteen. Finally, uh, you've got uh, the Mandalorian and the child land on a planet. It's been industrialized and environmentally devastated. Now, when you talk about feeling small, it did feel kind of small. But I don't think anybody cared about that. All they cared about was the big reveal of Ahsoka Tano. And the thing is, I thought this episode was going to give us some foreplay. But no, straight in. No. Right in straight there. Straight in. All passion. Like, they, it, they, yeah. They were like, listen, we made you go through that Call of Weathers episode. So here we are. Mm. opening, opening. I was like, how long is it going to be? Like, how long do I have to wait until I see her? What's going to happen? Also, I will say this. My love for her, and we're talking about Ahsoka Tano. Obviously. My love for her is problematic. Not problematic, just because I get so excited. Like, I get tummy aches. The full day I woke up and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't handle my energy. I was just like vibrations. That's how excited I was to watch the episode. And I was scared. I was really terrified. So, uh, because... I was there too. I yeah. I I know exactly what you're saying. I was worried because you're because you love it Ooh. so much. It's like, do they do they know how much I love it? Do they know how much I love it? Is it, do they get it? Do they do they really? But also like. You're changing cast, right? Because with Bo-Katan, you had the same voice and same actor. Like, you had sort of consistency. But, like, now you're introducing Rosario Dawson, and it's no longer Ashley, right, as the voice of Ahsoka. And so I was that to me. I was like, am I going to be able to get over that? And the answer is this. Yes. The (laughs) second like the second I saw the lightsabers, I was just like dead, done, forever. I am in. You have whatever you want. You what? You want my firstborn child that I don't? Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's yours. You know, I was in the the because I watched it the second time, and I found that the weakest aspects of their depiction of Ahsoka were at the beginning 
but they were still so good you didn't care. And when I'm saying weak, I'm saying when she moved, Rosario Dawson, very talented actor, but she doesn't have the moves that you see. When Gina Carano is in an action sequence and she's doing a fight choreography scene, she puts me over because what she's doing is what she used to get paid to do, beat the shit out of people. When Rosario Dawson is running and moving, it felt like just, and I'm just talking about her physicality. And that could be because of the makeup and the costuming. She can't move the way that we're used to seeing Ahsoka Tano move when she's a cartoon. But then when you get in close and you see her mannerisms and the way she's moving, that's when I became a believer. Do you know what I mean? That's not me. Crit- I would argue, I've yeah. watched it three times and I would argue that you're absolutely wrong. This is where we're going to disagree. Okay. Because I feel like even in the wide shots, they did something that they don't, that I've never seen a Jedi move like she moves in this show. In the sense that they always have the robes and they always look a little heavier. Like even in the original trilogy, even in the prequels and even in the new movies, like even like Ray is the only one that actually kind of moves with any sort of speed. And Ahsoka moves and she like hid like how she used to in the cartoons. She had like that weird kind of like skulking fast speed with the cloak and the ability to disappear. Like I thought all of that worked really, really well. See, I was more a fan of her. We talked about this for about five straight days. It's just a nonstop back and forth text conversation about she normally when you see a live action actor, like when you see a, an animated thing become live action, it's that actor's version of the character. Yeah. And this was and we both I think we both agreed on this is that absolutely it was Rosario Dawson clearly watched the show, looked at the things the animators were doing that made Ahsoka a likable character and gave her a character unto herself and then did that. It wasn't Rosario Dawson's version of Ahsoka. It was Rosario Dawson perfectly encapsulating and portraying Ahsoka Tano on screen. And that was so refreshing. And it showed that she actually respected the source material. And as a Star Wars fan, that's what I want. I want someone to not be beholden to it, but respect what it is and why people love it to begin with. But wait, but wait, there's also this thing that happens in animation. And this is when, like, this was the third or fourth time that I watched the episode that I caught it. In animation, to show forward movement, they lean the characters, you know, they draw the characters sort of leaning forward, right? Like, that's how you draw it, to make it appear, to, to give the appearance of forward movement because it's an animation, right? Same with, like, comic books, same with all of that, right? In, when you watch it, the live action, she kind of leans her body forward when she's going to move forward so that it has, she even moves like she would in the cartoon. Like that's and impressive. Dave, and Dave Filoni directed the it. Slight, yes, of course, the slightly stilted kind of walks, which you could assume that it was a character choice in the cartoon, but it's not. That's just how you animate things. And then she took that and was like, that's the character and made that Ahsoka. And of course, which sorry. is wild. It was so good. 
And just like episode three ends with the dropping of a name that made you get super emotional, which I did too, but I don't think it was on the same level. No, I cried. I really, <laughs> I wept. I cried the whole time this episode. And so at the end of it, and I didn't, and I didn't breathe. Like I know I ended up with like cramps on my legs because I didn't move. I was just so I was so holding my whole energy into my body that I was like in pain the next day. I needed to take like naproxen or whatever because I had muscle cramps from the excitement. And the episode ends with the name of Thrawn, as I was trying to say two minutes ago, but you needed to get in about how yes, much I you did. love Sorry. it. Yeah, I get sorry, it. No, sorry, sorry. totally. A respectable. I love it. But when they said Grand Admiral Thrawn, I lost my mind. And it's like, I think that's coincidental that, not coincidental, I mean, uh, that they dropped the name Thrawn and that Ahsoka Tano is looking for Thrawn because at the end of Rebels, you see- Spoiler alert. Yeah, I guess this is a spoiler alert. For anybody who hasn't seen Rebels, fast forward like a minute. The end of Rebels concludes with Sabine Wren and Ahsoka Tano going on a journey to find Ezra Bridger, uh, who, of course, did he kill Thrawn at the end? Obviously, he didn't because he and a bunch of the space whales, I forget what their name is right now, blast off into hyperspace. Where they go, nobody knows. And I love that... I will always argue that the best thing that Disney had done with Star Wars until uh, Mandalorian came out, well, Rogue, I guess still the big three, Rogue One, Rebels, and Mandalorian. Rebels is one of the best things Disney's ever done because of a completely new approach with the way of looking at what it means to be a Jedi. And I, I remember you on the final season of Rebels when you're talking about a big spoiler alert here when you're talking. No, about, you can't talk about it. You can't give that away. I can't. Well, no, th- fine. We won't. We will just say that it's one of the most refreshing looks at the version and journey of what it means to be a Jedi because during the course of the show, they find some Jedi temples going back to like pre New Republic era and the Jedi are a completely different entity than the Jedi Order that we know. And that is where the characters choose to go. And I love that conflict with what Ahsoka had been trained to believe about being a Jedi. And in her expulsion from the Order and her search for a new direction. And then finding this. And I have a feeling that the Ahsoka Tano show is going to be a continuation of Rebels for any fans. And I yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for, to be honest, like a continuation of the final season of Clone Wars, because that to me was some of the best Star Wars that I've ever seen. I haven't gotten to it yet because I'm still like season five with the kids. Yeah. Okay. 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 So the final season of Clone Wars and then Rebels, Rogue One, then this and Ahsoka like that's where I felt like that's. that's Now, are you just saying this because your love of Ahsoka Tano? Is that it? No, there is a fight. There is a scene in the final season of um, Clone, of Wars. Clone Wars that is quite possibly one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Her, her the the final fight scene, really, with her and that she's involved in, and is, Darth is Maul, wild. Pardon me, and Darth Maul. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now let's move on. Uh, yep. Episode six: the tragedy which I think is 
despite some really cool things that happen, and I think it's the second worst episode of the season. And I also am shocked that it was Robert Rodriguez that directed it. And I say that because the action sequences made no sense. Um, you see the the... The premise is is at the end of the Jedi episode, uh, you've got the Mandalorian has to take uh, the child to this planet, which is actually the origin. That planet's the origin of the Jedi Order, by the way. That is where the pre-New Republic Jedi, be- that's where it all began. And I was a little bit disappointed they didn't go this route, and maybe they will. They'll touch on it again with Ahsoka Tano, because if you've played... Um, the MMORP, the Star Wars MMORPG from Bioware, the Old Republic. If you choose the Jedi path, this is the planet you start out on because this is where the very first Jedi temples were made, and that is the planet that they go to. And the temple that he sits atop, the mount with the orb, is actually the original Jedi temple. And it, it's cool that they went there. It's just it felt like they're just kind of like. You know, they're just kind of flicking the bean a little bit. They weren't really doing anything. You know, also, who cares? This is where you get the team up of Boba Fett. Yeah, and but, Mando. Like, yeah, that's you do. It. Like yeah. that's all you care about. That it, no one like. I know that you're like eh, orbs and Jedi and blah blah. blah. I didn't say Ooh. I liked orbs. I this isn't about orbs. This is about. It doesn't. Matter. Okay. Whatever. But, it, that's a cool, fun tidbit. But really, this was about seeing Boba Fett. Put on Back the armor. Put on the uh, put on the outfit. Get his hair did and blast. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. And blast some troopers out of the sky. Look back and be like, "Cool guy, don't look at explosions." They like, just that's walk away. Really, what this episode was about? It does like whatever you're talking about, like Grogu sitting on like and meditating. Boo hoo! Who cares? Clean your crystals. I don't. It, that's fine. I just wanted. And also, this was really the like the sad moment where the Razor Crest just basically went up to Smithery. Just after everybody was getting the Lego set, so many parents got their kids that Lego set for Christmas. And now it's useless. I have not built mine yet. Yeah. So the th- the episode, the She's thing that I disliked gone. though, the the action sequences made no sense. Um, you've got what's the name of the sniper? She's now the cyborg sniper. And she's running oh, across. Yeah, she's running across like the top of a ridge line. Go on the other side so they can't shoot you. Then all of the stuff, the choreography, none of it made any sense. Like we argue constantly when I'm working on Mud 79 about paint a picture like I'm blind, map everything out. As somebody who has spent the last nine months mapping out action sequences in terms of plausibility and vividness. Nothing in that clicked for me. These 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 stormtroopers set up an E-Web autocannon out in the open, which according to Ooh, constant it's it just Did you seems not silly. Remember the part where Boba Fett just blew shit up. Yeah, That's it was all. great. And then kicking the boulder down, the Boba magic Fett boulder. Is that the magic boulder? The magic boulder that rolls through 20 guys, then hits the E-Web powers? Come on. 
Still. It doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. This is the second filler episode. The The whole point of that episode was really just about him getting the armor and coming out with with his kneecap missile launchers. And I'm like, this is incredible. Oh, yes, dude. That's, that's all that matters. Yeah, so really, I know. This episode was about getting to see Boba Fett in yeah. action because up until this point, really, he's just kind of been a dude in a helmet. We have talked many times about the disappointing nature of Boba Fett. And that episode is like, at the end of Rogue One, you watch Darth Vader be the mad dog. You finally see him be what we've all been terrified of. And in yeah. this episode, we finally see Boba Fett be what we've all been told that he was. Yeah, it was like the redeeming, it was. It, it should have been called redemption. Like yeah. that's what this episode should have been called because that's what it was. It was like the redemption of Boba Fett. And so like for all of the people who say that Boba Fett is just a cool helmet, but nothing else, this episode was fully like, am I though? But am I? And it was actually really cool that by getting rid of the Razor Crest, now we have to move over to the Slave One, which is the ship that I now forever regret not owning in Lego. Um, but that's where we're headed, right? So you get the final team up. I will argue, however, that this is also the episode that I noticed that the Fennec wig, the wig that they put on uh, Fennec Shan, is quite honestly atrocious. It was actually distracting. That's all. The braids, it was just, it, hair doesn't look like that. Um, I can see your wig line. I hate it. Um, but other than that, I thought we got to see Boba Fett. That's exactly what I'm here for. Let's get on with it. Okay. Let's move on to what I will say is my favorite episode of the season. Chapter 15, oh. The Believer. It's my favorite. Um, uh, it's directed by Rick Famuyiwa, and who also did The Woods, which I would like everybody to know that I made out with probably the hottest girlfriend I ever had in my early 20s, too, to that movie, by the way. Great movie okay. for making out with her, too. Anyways... <laughs> All right. It, I'm here for that. It, yeah. It, this is. I was way out of my league. I'm way out of my league with my wife, but I was way, way out of my league. Anyways, um, this episode features the return of Migs Mayfield, um, and I really liked Migs Mayfield's character. Uh, I liked him the entire episode, specifically because of how he was consistently chirping Cara Dune. Like... Like that, that line says, it's too bad you're not getting in here with us. You got such a sunny disposition. Like all of the things he was saying to her, I loved. I loved all of it. And I really love that Cara Dune has a fanatic hatred of the Empire. Which And it's plausible, too. That's the thing. It tracks. Like it clicks. Her hatred of the Empire tracks because they literally blew up her planet. They blew it up. And so she hates the Empire. And you've got... Migs Mayfield, who fought for the Empire, and when he when she's running her mouth on the ridge line, he turns around and goes, "Listen, if you got something you want to say, just say it." And when he said that, I was like, "I'd like to know more about him as a character and his motivation." And then they infiltrate the base, which, by the way, that action sequence on the top of the Levite was great. And a little thing that I loved that they did was. 
when the one bandit swings the staff down and he puts his arm up to block it, he's used to having his best car bracers. Yeah. And yeah. it shatters. And as you and- finally get to see him be like, oh, oh and he, how much How much is it him a really great fighter? Yeah. How much is it the suit? Yeah, and he's got to stop. He's got to change my- everything he does. And I yeah. love that. And and as somebody like who's a fan of boxing, you, you have to watch great boxers are great not because of what they do, but because of how they can react to whatever is thrown. That's the make of a great fighter, is that they change things up based on what needs to be done. That's what makes him a great fighter. And so you see, and if you watch the choreography, he actually stops doing his block, 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 but he's move, 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 wait for an opening, then come in, and all of his Mm -hmm. attacks count. Brilliant fight choreography on that episode. Brilliant. And when they're coming in, it's such a Star Wars trope, and not just a Star Wars trope, but a movie trope. Here comes the air cavalry, but this time you hear the that whine of a Tie Fighter, and you who have grown up hating Tie Fighters hear that sound, and then boo, 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 and it's normally the X wing, but now it's the Tie Fighter, and you're just like, yes, the, the Tie Fighters are here. When do you ever say that? I Never. loved it. I loved it. It was great. It was really, it was a great, uh, yeah, it was really, really great. Um, Are you going to talk about your rifle moment? No, I'm not even done. I'm not done. I'm not done. My favorite scene isn't the fight on the Leviathan. I just thought that was really good. My favorite scene, and when it happened, I got emotional because I feel like that scene perfectly encapsulated what I'm going for with Mud 79. Um, Mud 79, of course, my Star Wars radio play that everybody should listen to is really good. And you've got the episode is called The Believer, and The Believer is Migs Mayfield because you really finally see a character. And I don't think I've ever seen this in a Star Wars episode before. You see a character open up about their hatred and contempt for the idea of heroes because it's meaningless and it's garbage. And we see it all the time in the media today, calling people heroes, calling people heroes, and it becomes a marketing tool rather than a meaningful statement. And when they talk about Operation Cinder, Project Cinder, which is what's the main plot driver in Battlefront 2, the video game, where once the emperor died to sow chaos, they create, they disintegrated cities in the name of the empire to sow chaos within the burdening, when the growing new republic. And Bill Burr, you realize Migs Mayfield's team, like his unit, was vaporized not by the enemy, but by the Empire. And then that officer says, they're all heroes of the Empire. And when you see that instant turn of, yeah, I'm sure their families think they're heroes. All those civilians that we killed, yeah, they're heroes too. I loved that scene so much because you really get the sense that he believed in something and it w- it destroyed him. Like, it, just, it, it wasn't what he thought it was. He realizes that he was a fool for believing and he believed in something that never even existed in the first place and he hates himself for it. And then he kills the guy. Oh, I, I would it. argue that his realization is very similar to Ahsoka's in Clone War. Yeah. Because she felt it's this idea of betrayal. 
So both characters, what they've done is basically follow ideology without ever really questioning where it came from, right? That's mm-hmm. what they've done. And when they're faced with the reality of their actions and the ideologies and how some idea it's not binary it's not like i think that's what we're exploring here right for with both characters it's it's not just jedi versus you know dark versus light it's not just um you know empire versus uh republic it's not just rebels versus blah 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 like whatever it's like that star wars is is built basically on this idea of a binary and in reality what all of these character characters are showing are the gray the reality is, is that humanity is that all of these things have both of those things and so that's what's beautiful about all of these characters and why I think we it's so great to explore them in a TV show the way that they do is that it is about sort of these complicated gray areas. That's why this episode is so great because the people who are the heroes of the episode, at least for part of it, are the TIE fighters, are sort of what you've been sort of taught to believe that are actually the enemy, right? And here it flips it and then it flips it again because it is about the gray. Yeah, totally. And I also want to say at the very end, they jump onto the slave one and Miggs Mayfield, who was a sniper in the Republic, you get a hint that he was a scout trooper is what I think that they were building up to when I was reading the show notes from the prison break episode from last season. Um, Mm -hmm. He asks for that Zerka and it's a Zerka adventurer slug thrower rifle, which is a very expensive rifle, and we talk about it in an episode of Mud 79, episode 4, if you must know, uh, that model of sniper rifle. But that right there is a really cool little Easter egg to Clone Wars fans and Star Wars fans because Aura Singh, uh, who was one of the bounty hunters that ran with Boba Fett and kind of like raised him, uh, that was, they're hinting that that was her rifle that he used. In that episode, which I thought was really cool because Aura Singh is a character that I loved in Clone Wars because when I think of, like, villains, she's awesome. She's great. We could love to see more of her. Now, let's get on to the finale. The rest. Before we do, though, can we just for a second, and I think this is what I really like about Mandalorian. We didn't talk about this at towards when we were talking about the previous episode, is when um, Ahsoka turns to Mando and says, may the force be with you. And he basically just goes like, oh, yeah, those are words. I don't know what that means. (laughs) That's great because the galaxy's huge. He wouldn't even know what that means. This is exactly my point. This is what I love about this show is that it shows a, well, that, that. And then all of this infighting, it weirdly seems like the Mando was not part of that. Uh It was like. He wasn't like all of these things that happen in this episode are realities and and sort of remnants of the trilogy that we all know and the major sort of war that we know. But you can actually see how certain characters and I think um, Migs mentions this. That's like it, it. The reality for these people doesn't change. It's just new new people at the top you know yeah their day-to-day life doesn't change all we are is people all we are is people on their land you know exactly and so that's what i think this season really did was to show that what we've come to believe as very important star wars lore you know like this is like made the four you say that to people and people may just not know what the hell you're talking about 
Let's get on to the finale, though, because I really have a lot to say about the finale. Okay, let's okay. go. So, and I do, before we go, this is a cut point, uh, you do have to get rid of the first part. Oh, yeah. We're going long. Yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, but this is all gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we can You're giving it, me we... more edits to do right now. Okay. Okay. I agree with you, though. I want you to know that. I agree. Okay. Mm-hmm. The finale. The rescue. Which... I watched with my kids, and I, you, I, we, we text, because we text after every episode. People don't really, usually you watch it a bit later than me, because I, I watch it with my kids, so they got to go to bed. That's the Friday night treat. And you, I always say that you, oh, if you cry at something, you don't say you cried. You say you openly wept. That's one of your lines. That to me. That's, that is my line. That's your line, is you openly yeah. wept. And which is like they talk about openly weeping in Lord of the Rings all the time, too. Aragorn often openly weeps. So you are my Aragorn is what I'm saying. But okay, well, that's delightful. But first, before we actually get to the finale, did we not have did was it with you that I had sort of these? Okay, let's place bets on what's going to happen. I would never do that. I I, no, that wouldn't have been me because I I I I speculate internally too much. And then I get myself disappointed and worked up about things. I had theories. We were talking that at the breakfast table on Friday morning, uh, my oldest was very adamant that Leia was going to answer Grogu's call. And Mm -hmm. I explained to him that's possible, but I don't think it's likely because Leia doesn't care about the Jedi Order. She cares about the Republic. It's Luke that cares about the Jedi Order. And then I said, remember they called back to Thrawn, maybe Ezra Bridger is going to be the one to answer the call. That's who I thought was going to... That's who I was secret... I was okay. Were you actually hoping... Because I know you're not a big Ezra Bridger fan. I hate him. (laughs) Perfect. I do. I don't like him. Um, So I hate Ezra Bridger. But, like, I thought it would have been cool. I thought that would have been cool. Okay, so, like... So it wasn't with you. I've gone back through my texts because this is how seriously I take facts. Uh, It was actually with my friend Cody and my best friend Nate. We have like a group chat and we were talking about, you know, the season finale. And so we place bets. And instead of bets, because no, we all couldn't agree on anything, we ended up listing kind of who we thought were going to be the people who would answer Grogu's call. And so people were like, one of them was like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm like, yo, you don't understand the timeline. He's dead. Yeah. Um, so, of course, Leia came up. But then immediately I was like... As you said, Senator, busy doing stuff, can't do that. Totally. Ahsoka, we already know that she's not partaking. She's busy doing her own TV show. Mm-hmm. As we thought Ezra, we discussed Ezra, but of course, now I think that that's going to be left over for Ahsoka. We're not going to get to see him. So that basically left Luke. Cal Kestis from the Falling Order, is that his name? Cal? Yeah. Cal Kestis, yeah. Yep. Jedi Fallen Order. Uh and the the other character from Fallen Order, um, uh, yeah, Sarah Judah. I forget her name, but she's voiced by the one woman who was on Mad TV, and she's delightful and has a tremendous, tremendous catalog of voice work. There was also sure. now this is I got to bring this up. There was also an, a, a rumor, well, not a rumor, a theory that the more I read about it, the more plausible it became that Mace Windu was going to answer the call. And here's why: mm-hmm. I I can hear you. You're like no. Here's why. You don't see him die. 
and he's not human. Mace Windu wasn't a human. He was an Atoan. And Atoans are a human-like race, but they're very strong, very durable. And when he hits the ground or hits whatever he lands on, ship, you name it, it knocks him unconscious and he has amnesia and he doesn't remember anything. Uh, and then Grogu's call reaching out to him triggers something because he was one of Grogu's masters. That's what this theory said. And then you were going to see Mace Windu all of a sudden show up, which honestly, I I would have loved it because it would have been so ridiculous. I would have been all over it. I thought that was a good theory. I hated it at first, but maybe it's just because I love Sam Jackson so much. I would have been totally okay. Yeah, it would have been dope. It, it would have been yeah, to see. It would have been. Like, and then they, they, just like a little five-minute episode, they could have opened it up. Or not even opened it up because it would have given it out. But like at, a little, at the end, like a post-credit sequence of the life of of quite uh, not quite gone the life of mace windu that, that would have been all right i would have been fine with that at all it would have been great it would have been fine yeah um anyway so like there was that and then i i tried to sort of script it in my mind how they were going to sort of team up because obviously bo katan is on the same path so i figured you know she would come at the same time anyways what happened to the third man? So, okay, they they go and they land on this planet uh, and they find Bo-Katan because, of course, they're getting the band back together. They got to save the little green guy. They now mm-hmm. got the information about where his cruiser is. So they go and find Bo-Katan knowing that she needs things to retake the planet of Mandalore. Uh, her and Boba Fett, of course, don't get along. One thing that was weird, what happened to the third Mandalorian? Where'd that guy go? Is he off just leading other things? I didn't understand. It just felt like... A needless omission, because it could have been cool to have somebody die of their little posse when they attack the ship. You always need somebody to die. I'm a big fan of having somebody die. They could have had that guy die. I just didn't understand why it wasn't there. But I did really like, and I would like to see this aspect get explored a bit more. Um, She says that Boba Fett's not Mandalorian, but then when Jango Fett comes up, there was it seemingly some a lot of hostility there too, and I didn't understand that because, if anything, Jango Fett became the most legendary warrior of Mandalore ever. So I never got, I didn't get that. And a tool of the Republic, I I, I know that they're talking about the switch of the Republic to the Empire led to the absolute destruction and all that stuff of Mandalore, but I. That's not him. That's not he didn't do that. I didn't get that. Am I an, am I an idiot? Am I is there something I'm not getting here? No, I didn't get it and I didn't get where the other guy went either. Like these are really good points. I just didn't care. Yeah, I, I wanted to see these, yeah. I yeah. wanted to be there for the ride. Like this is from like my 4th, 5th, 6th, maybe next season, see how they tie it all together. This is like also being, we don't know, we don't know the whole story about what's going to happen in Mandalore, no, right? No. And also, to liken these little like bits of confusion, it's like when you're in a line for a really great amusement park ride and you've got a hangnail. It's like, yes, you have a hangnail, but the ride is still going to be awesome. You know what I mean? That's what it was like for me. I knew the ride I was getting on was going to be incredible. Uh, and then they find the scientist. I really want to get to know a little bit more about his plan. I wish they'd expanded on that. They get onto the ship and... When they split up and they go their ways, oh my God, everything that happened there was just the Star Wars that I love. Um, 
when they, you've got the two groups of people going through shooting up all the stormtroopers. What are you even talking about? Oh, I love you have to You have to get before that, getting onto the ship was yes. when we get to see the TIE fighters, the, yeah. the um, Empire transport thing. Yeah. And the Slave One just whooping it up in the fucking sky. Absolutely. Like, it is dope. Mm-hmm. It's so great. And the, all those things are great, but they're... They're all just, we're just, it's just a list of me. You go, and this was good, and this is also good. Yeah. These parts are good. Dope. It I, was great to see it come in. And, you know, it was actually like, I feel like the episode, the second that we got into that slave one, we're like, all right, here's the heist. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And here's the setup. I would say that I think the reason why they got rid of that one male Mandalorian is so they could have what I like to call the Spice Girls moments that all of these movies have. Well, okay. Now, here's the thing. But I saw, I saw I a great argue. meme about this. A great meme about this because I agree with you. Totally do. But I would argue that this was the best execution of the Spice yes, Girls moment. Totally. They tried to do it so desperately in Avengers Endgame, and it just... You and I talked Ooh. about like yeah. That's where they, that's what gave birth to this idea. The yeah. Spice Girls woman. Just, ugh. And then if you want to, it's like if you want to be my lover, and you want to get with my the friends, boys took it's basically it. when they have all of the girls coming together in totally. a team up moment. Yes. Now they did it as well in the boys. I don't know if you've seen the second season of the boys, but they take a scene directly from the comics and they redo it with all the female characters. They have the Spice Girls moment and. They, the director of the episode blatantly said, I saw it was done in Endgame and I thought it was diminishing and insulting and I wanted to do it right. And she did because the boys, oh my God, that finale is fantastic. And then they did it again in Mandalorian and again, they did it right. It's not about holding a pose. It's about ripping shit up and being fucking awesome. And that's what they fucking did. And I loved it and I swore twice and that's fine. That's how good it was. That's how good it was. It was, it was great. And then yeah. one one listener, like of the of Mud Seventy Nine, actually messaged me saying, "Like, what was wrong with Cara Dune's blaster rifle?" And then I had to direct him to the ninth episode of Mud Seventy Nine, <laughs> where they discuss the internal components of a blaster rifle and what can cause it to break and diminish. And generally speaking, it comes down to conduit components that are inside the rifle. This is literally when I just look at the script and go highlight boring. That's why. That's <laughs> why you always go with Blastech Industries because they have a lot of internal compensation modules that prevent that from happening. Moving on, they yep. there's a great fight with the Mandalorian and a Dark Trooper, and this is something that they did something that I love to see that he gets the shit beat out of him horribly like doesn't stand a chance against this thing and that is what i love seeing i when I, his head is almost going through the side of the ship <laughs> yes and that speaks that uh, you brought it up oh. how much of it is him how much of it is his armor he was dead if it wasn't for that he would have been absolutely dead if not for that armor and when he pulls out the spear oh my everything about it was so good that it was because dark troopers are made to be that tough. Like, no one stands a chance. That's why there's not many of them. That's why he says it actually 
causes like power distribution issues, keeping them running all the time because they're so much of a liability in that sense, but they're so powerful. And then they get locked in the, the, you could go. They get shot out into yeah, space. They get shot out into space. And then he fights Moff Gideon with the spear, which we all knew was going to happen once we once yep. he had the Beskar spear. I love that the Darksaber is like heating up. The Beskar so hot it's yeah. glowing. That was really cool. Uh, yeah. And then he takes the, the Darksaber and apparently he's not supposed to hold it. He's got to fight Bo-Katan for it, which I thought was weird. And they, they introduced that. And then they don't resolve it by the end of the episode, which I'm like, well, I guess we're gonna have to figure th- we're gonna figure that out next year, guys. Um, but they get but also. Lo- I will also I will say the only kind of slightly weak point, if we're gonna nitpick, I'm gonna nitpick. We can nitpick. Is, it's not like we're saying we don't like it. No, I'm just gonna nitpick. But the moment that Moss Gideon and uh, Mando end up on the bridge, like they're just staring into the middle distance. Yeah. Totally. Everyone there is just staring. Mm-hmm. At what? Like, what are you doing? You're not looking for the rest of... Like, you're not looking for anything. They were just standing, waiting for Mando to show up. Well, what else could they do? I don't know. This is my whole other point with Star Wars. You could probably solve a lot if you just had cameras. They could have just bopped around and, like, looked to see where people were. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. Maybe they didn't know how to use any of the computers or anything in there. But it sets the stage up for that single X-Wing fighter flying in to save them because all the dark troopers come back and are about to storm the bridge. The doors are giving way, and you see that classic one X-Wing roll in, and then Luke Skywalker, of course he's shrouded, and the giveaway was the green lightsaber and the hilt, specifically the hilt, uh, as he goes through and cuts people down. Now. And the glove. The glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The glove. Well, anyone can wear a glove. It's just, it these are all one very, gloved yeah, hand. What very are you, strong Jackson? Hands. Let's be honest. Maybe he one is. gloved hand. We don't know. We don't, it could Which be. Which he uses to, like, choke folk. Yeah, choke and folk. folk. And I, I love that he yeah. showed him using dark powers, too. Yeah. Because Luke is. It felt, I will say this, like, that was the darkest that I think I've seen Luke Skywalker fight. Because Luke, they they cut a lot of this stuff out in the in Return of the Jedi as Luke meditates on the dark side of the Force and the light, and that's what this was before the concept of being all dark and being all light. There was you could still use dark Force powers like pushing things, moving things. Offensive use of the Force didn't make you evil. You know, it was your intention behind it, and the. The concept of Luke rolling in just like Vader does in Rogue One was not lost on me. The imagery was perfect. Oh, yes. But I will say, beautiful. I wished so hard they would have cast an actor and not Tronified them. And I say Tronified because that Jeff Bridges being younged down for Tron is always the example that I go to. I wish that it was Sebastian Stan so much. I like this. It should have been Sebastian Stan. It's not. It should have been. It would have been cheaper. It would have been cooler, and it would have. But I think also okay. I would have argued like you deduce. You can do the Tronification, if you will, (laughs) like the CGI effect to like. It's just like a bit of Photoshop. It's just a little filter. Yeah, on Sebastian Stan, it would just be a little filter. It wouldn't be 
so shocking. Don't even filter it. Like, don't even filter it because the kids that grew up watching Luke Skywalker young are all parents and in their 40s and 50s now. Like, we don't care. We're not going to get all uppity. Like, I'm fine with it. It's It's got to be a new person. And I would have liked to have seen that. I really would have liked to have seen a new actor taking the role uh, the even dub the voice if you have to even that I'm like ah but to say that doesn't in any way mean it took away from it like I no it was just like I mean uh, I laughed for like a hot second where I was like oof that didn't work but but that was enough when <laughs> when Pedro Pascal is holding Grogu and he reaches out to touch his face and he takes off the helmet Dude, I got so emotional. Like it was it's such a great dad moment. Like it's it's so huge. Like when you hold your baby for the first time and they like they reach at your face, it's like it guts you. Like it guts you. As soon as that happened, I went back to being a dad with a baby and they're crying at night and you're irritated as fuck that you gotta get up and you go in the room and they latch on to you like you're the you're the entire universe and it's like it's the most powerful feeling that I've ever felt and when that happened dude I'm getting emotional just talking about it it was insane like I I I broke watching it wife and kids in the room I couldn't help it I started tearing up it was that to me is the most powerful moment I've ever seen in Star Wars period since Yoda explained the force the first time when I was 11 years old. Like, that's it. I was gutted. Gutted. Okay. So, like, I do not have children. You have a dog? It's the same thing. I have a dog with ears that are very much like Grogu's. <laughs> and when he reached up, little Grogu, my dog, who has impeccable timing, decided to reach up and because he was sleeping and snuggle up to me and looked up and the big ears, the beady little eyes dead. I was weeping openly, openly, openly weeping. So emotional had not moved again, cramps crying. And then, and I couldn't, I didn't think my, body could contain any more emotion up to this point. I was just like, this is it. Like, I am just a beam of light and I love this. I'm just filled with joy. And then, and then it happened. (laughs) R2-D2 popped. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh man, I can tell right now, Dila's losing her mind because you are the biggest R2 fan ever. Like, you have a an innate hatred of BB-8 because people even dare to call him the new R2-D2. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's not, um, that's not R2. He's not... R, R2 is a hero of real heroes of, like, Clone Wars when he, like, went in and, like, did a full thing. Like, he's incredible. R2 is just, a, just the best. Mm-hmm. I love him. And when I saw his little face peek around Luke and do his little beepity boops with Grogu, the second, again, I was prepared for Ahsoka. I was not prepared for Bo, for Bo-Katan. 
when I saw Ahsoka, it was like weeping excitement because this is everything I've ever wanted. I was not prepared. Again, this was a surprise of an R2 moment. And the sound that came out of my body when he came in, like, it was like, oh, like I just <laughs> cried. It was like, and then it was just tears, like ugly little kid happy tears of seeing R2 again on screen as how I always love him because he kind of got sidelined in all of these new, like the newer movies. He was just kind of like literally sidelined. Yeah. And just to see him in action again, I didn't think I would ever see him again. I cried and it was so emotional and this never happens because usually I watch Mandalorian. I stop, I watch it again, stop and I watch it again and just watch it until like I can't watch it anymore. Um, which is a, a lie because I'll watch it again anyways. Um, I have not been able to watch that episode. I have not been able to bring myself up again to watch the finale. Yeah, I, I, it was too emotional. It was the, and, and I had a discussion with somebody who didn't like that Mando took his helmet off in chapter 15 the believer and and i said he wasn't taking his helmet off to show another person he took his helmet mm -hmm. off to scan on the computer and he screwed up the timing because he's not used to the system and then he had to leave it off this is the first time i would argue in the series that he took his helmet off with the intention of somebody seeing it and with the intent of revealing his yes his, his person to to another yes and that to me that was huge like he had the option in uh, episode four, Sanctuary, of the previous season, where he could have stayed on that planet with that woman at the Krill Farm. Nope. Sorry, babe. Got to go have space adventures with my little green buddy here. No, not good enough. Got to go. Then he takes his helmet off at the end with redemption because uh, the, the, you know, the droid guy voiced mm -hmm. by what's-his-face. Yeah. No. Excuse me. In this, in first of all, in this podcast, we never call him what's-his-face. No, sorry. I, I was confusing Taika's uh, assassin droid with the other assassin droid voiced by the guy from the IT crowd. That's my mistake, and I think I just lost a lot of friend points with you there. Um, but yes. First, yeah. Secondly, can I just say that it's shocking that Taika Waititi didn't do a single episode of this season? I know he's working on Thor, Love, and Thunder, and that's probably the reason, but... I would have also, loved... Also, he's got another Star Wars movie to do. Yeah. He's busy. He Let's is. not he's... bring Taika into this. I'm not... Into this. That's not me saying I'm mad at him. That's me saying I miss him. He's a delightful human being. Um, he's got great hair. Uh, another guy <laughs> with voluminous hair. But anyways, okay, let's just... Let's wrap it up right now. We'll move on. Um... We need to talk about the post-credit scene. That's what I'm really here for. I've been on the phone for an hour just to talk about the post-credit scene. So... Uh, yeah, cool that he comes in and kills Bib Fortuna, which I, I didn't check the credits to see if that was the original actor that played Bib Fortuna. That would have been pretty cool if it was. Um, but yes, he kills the Twilight guy sitting on Jabba's throne, a.k.a. Bib Fortuna, his number two guy uh, that we saw in Return of the Jedi. Um, and I, I'm keen to see what happens there. I think we're going to have like a, like a Crime Lord show about the hut in the Outer Rim, which I think is pretty cool. There was some people saying online that 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 might be them revealing that they're going to get rid of the Mandalorian series and it will become the book of Boba Fett for next year. And I don't think that's going to happen. 
So I think what it's done, first of all, Matthew Wood reprising the role of Bib Fortuna. It is? Yeah. Oh, amazing. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I think what it does now is that before it was called The Mandalorian, and we just assumed it was Din. Now it allows for Boba stories to exist and still live within the same sort of franchise, if you will. You can have an episode or two about the book of Boba Fett or, you know, like... No, it's. I don't, don't want think? that. I don't. No, no, no. I, I think but it's possible. Where is the storyline going to go for Din? The battle for Mandalore, man. Like I have a feel. I would love to see it become a show that deals with the cultural aspects of Mandalore society because it's a very complex, complex, complex group of people. You've got the Death Watch, and you could see the reunification of Mandalore under Bo-Katan, and I would love to see something along those lines because I love Jin Jaren. I think he's a great character, but he's not a leader. And I think that he's great when you put him in a lane and tell him what to do. And I think that... Well, right now he is the leader. No, and I, so the, oh. that's what I think is going to happen, is the arc is going to be about Bo-Katan winning this, the Darksaber back from him. I, I don't like that, to be honest with you. The idea that she can't take the lightsaber, the Darksaber from him. That, to me, is a new and kind of hokey thing. But it happened, but we saw that happen with Sabine, with Sabine when Sabine was carrying the Darksaber. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like it then either. And I just feel that in the context of this show, it's kind of silly. Well, I, I think, listen, I think if we're going to go into the into Mandalore, I want to see Sabine back. I want to see some oh, of those other characters. Yes, like, totally I do. See... Totally do. I want to see Ahsoka come back and be involved in the Mandalore Chronicles and the taking back of Mandalore because she's front, front and center during the whole purge of Mandalore to begin with. All I know is that if Luke's out there beeping and bopping with R2, does that mean Oh, because this is what I thought of after I've watched the episode and, you know, my love for R2. Does that mean that we're going to potentially see a live action meeting of Ahsoka and R2? Because the stories they could tell. No, that. Oh, you haven't seen the final season. OK, never mind. It happens in Clone Wars. Spoiler alert. And there is nothing more delightful because she both of them know Anakin yeah so the idea that that could potentially happen in like live action I can't wait but also like anyways I think I do think that it is going to the like the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett I don't think they're going to be separate series I think they're going to be intertwined I think we're just going to be following Boba Fett for a while I don't think we're going to get back to Din I, to be I... honest that makes me sad. It does make me sad. But you know what? We're, it does just, make me sad that, too. But also, like story-wise, he's kind of settled at least for a little bit. Also, he doesn't have a ship. Yeah. Ah. Sorry. Well, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But that's it. That concludes our big retrospective on the Mandalorian. We'll be back December twenty twenty one. Yes, with another <laughs> retrospective about something in a post-COVID society. Hopefully. So that concludes our passionate look back at Mandalorian 
season two. I want to remind everybody um, that Mud 79, our fan-made Star Wars audio play, radio drama, audio drama thing, um, concludes on January 5th. That's the end of the first season. We're already working on the second season. It's all mapped up, and I'm in the process of scripting it right now. There will be some characters from the first season that will not survive. You should be aware of that. Uh, and you should also know that there will be some new characters as we further explore the Imperial Conflict, the trailing off warfare from the Clone Wars going on on the planet of Sestin IV. Um, so yeah, January 5th, be listening for that. And also, uh, I'm going to be retooling and reworking the first two episodes and giving them a little bit more punch. Because as I listen back, I realize that there are some missed opportunities some, for some really cool pieces of audio in there. So yeah, go check that out. Mud79. Uh, it's also got its very own Twitter handle, at Star Wars Mud79. So it's all there. Um, we're also available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also find me at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard here today and links to all of our guests. Well, the one guest. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at IssueZero at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, as well as Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design and final production is by Rob Johnson. See you next time. January 5th for more Issue Zero.